Hi there, my name is Adam Waters, and I'm the lead pastor here at Grace Bible Church in Elmhurst, Illinois. I'm just so glad that you made the decision to take us along with you this week on life's journey. Here at Grace Bible Church, we are a family of faith who seeks forgiveness, healing, and hope in Jesus Christ. Now, we might all come from different backgrounds, but each of us recognize that the tremendous needs in our lives point us to one place, to God, for His answers, His provision, and mostly, for His grace. I hope the following program gives you a new perspective on who God is, who you are, and how you too might find forgiveness, healing, and hope in our Lord Jesus. Thanks for listening. Good morning, church family. Good morning. I think we need to get one of those like dinner chime things, right? Just walk through the hell. Like we got to come up with something better than me just screaming at the top of my lungs. But uh, this will have to do today. It's good to see you all here today. Uh, you know, it's it's as you have seen, we've changed the format up a little bit. We're just doing the announcements, flowing right into the music. I'm still getting used to this a little bit, but I'm used to being up on stage and you know I'm doing my thing. I'm telling jokes. I see Aaron down here. He's laughing at all my jokes. Stephanie's sitting here rolling her eyes at all my jokes and. You know, Michael's just standing here being really, really, really ridiculously good looking. But uh, I guess I'll get used to all that. My name is Adam Paoli, and I am part of the uh, executive board as well as a growth group leader here at Grace Bible Church. Uh, and I welcome everybody. Uh, this church exists to experience and proclaim the forgiveness, the healing, and the hope in Jesus Christ. This is a place that we hope that you will connect with God and connect with others and not just on a superficial level, but on a deep and meaningful basis. Welcome to those who are visiting us either here in person or online. We're glad to have you with us, and we invite you to learn how you can connect with others in our church family in the following ways. Uh, first, you can find out more information about us on our website, gbcelm.org, as well as uh, the social media handle, which is uh, gbcelm. And if you've been keeping tabs on our social media lately, you've seen that Adam Fox has been throwing out some questions uh, to our church community so we can interact and try to get to know each other better, as well as some previews for the Sunday services for those of you who like to uh, read ahead a little bit and get a leg up. Um, next, you can get connected to our family through growth groups, which are for adults of all ages and stages. If you are a parent of a young child, there's a growth group here for you. If you are a young single looking to connect with other Christians, there's a group here for you. If you're on the more mature end of the spectrum and you think that TikTok is a sound the clock makes, there is definitely a group here for you. You guys catching a theme? We've got lots of growth groups here. There's plenty of opportunity for you to connect, and we believe that they are vital for your spiritual growth. So uh, we recommend that you, uh, to get a full list of our growth groups, you can go online, learn about them, register on our website at gbcm.org. Got some good news this week. We added a new member of our church family, not the formal paperwork way, but on May 18th, Juan and Angelica had a new baby. We welcomed a baby girl named uh, Janelle. Yes. Janelle Abby Chavez weighing in at 10 pounds, I'm sorry, 7 pounds, 10 ounces. That would have been very painful. Thank the Lord it was only 7 pounds, 10 ounces. Um, and we're thankful to report that both baby and mom are doing well. If you are interested in supporting the Chavez family, we are doing a meal train that you can sign up. If you got the Grace Connect email, there was a link in there to it. If you have any questions, find me afterwards. I'd be glad to get you in touch with that so we can take care of our family. All right, 
Please join me uh, as we pray to the Lord, lifting up this praise and other petitions. Dear Heavenly Father, we are so thankful for life. Uh, this late start to the spring has brought renewed life to many of the trees and plants and flowers all around us, which reminds us of the goodness and the majesty of your creation. There is nothing more amazing in this world than the birth of a child, and we are so thankful for the answered prayers of a safe and healthy delivery for Janelle. Lord, we pray that Angelica heals quickly and that Janelle will grow strong in body and in spirit as a member of this church family. We pray as a congregation that we can circle around Juan and Angelica and others in need to experience and put on display the transformational love of Jesus Christ. As we give praise for the birth of Janelle, I can't help but think of all the babies uh, who are reliant upon formula right now to survive and the parents who are anxious as they struggle to find formula in the stores. Lord, we pray for these families, that the situation would be short-lived, and then we pray that uh, for miracles for all the women who are experiencing difficulty in feeding their babies in any capacity. Lord, we pray for the Caring Network, for Maternity House, and all the other ministries who support mothers, fathers, and those who protect the most vulnerable among us. May these ministries trust in you and your power to overcome the evil of this world and bring hope to those who feel hopeless. As we continue in the book of Judges, Lord, we are reminded that we don't, when we don't have you in our lives, we experience despair and the worst of human nature. We pray that each and every person here has their hearts and ears open to your truth, that we can use this as an opportunity to create a deep connection with you, casting aside all the distractions and temptations of this world and focusing on you and your goodness and your faithfulness. We love you and we pray all this in the name of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen. One of the ways that we worship and praise the Lord is through the giving back of our financial resources. Um, if you're watching online, you can uh, do so through the Facebook stream. Uh, you can also do so by using the envelopes in the back of the pew, putting them in the uh, secure box out in the atrium. And one thing I've realized is I've been up here a bunch, and I don't talk about the way that I give back to the church. We've actually got an app. Hand, show of hands, who knows that we have an app that you can give your tithe to. Okay, I can't believe I just hadn't said that loud. More than half of you are using it. If you are using the uh, Church Center application, very simple way that you can go online, connect, credit card, bank account, whatever you want to do, and do so very easy and systematically there, and it's quite simple. All right, now is my distinct pleasure to bring up the oldest Kingdom Kids member up to talk a little bit about the Living on Mission segments. Marty Wiesman, please join us. Yes, I am the oldest member of the Kingdom Kids, and I'm proud of it. Good. Hello. My name is Martin Wiesman, for those who don't know me. Uh, today, we, uh, I'm going to be talking about an exciting and Christ-honoring event taking place in East Dundee, Illinois, by Redeeming Life Outreach Ministries. One of the criticisms of the pro-life movement is that after birth, the mother and the child are forgotten. This is simply not true. Redeeming Life Outreach Ministries seeks to reach out with the love of Christ to support single, expectant, and postpartum mothers. They do this by providing 
a safe and stable home for them. The women also have opportunities for growth in their relationship with their Savior, as well as career, parenting, and life skill education. Their mission is governed by God's grace. They're in the process of building a new home in East Dundee. <clears throat> Key components of their program are faith, spiritual growth through worship, prayer, and Bible study, family, love, safety, and stability in a family-style residential home, finances, budgeting for today, and saving and investing for tomorrow, health, nutrition, and healthy lifestyles for mother and baby, career, charting a path toward self-sufficiency, and of course, parenting, loving children through structure and discipline. The ministry began in Florida and is a 501c3 organization in a registered, or excuse me, a recognized service of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. In 2020, the Life Task Force and Maternity Home Committee of Northern Illinois District, along with the Lutheran Church Extension Fund, were asked to partner with Redeeming Life in opening a home in the Chicagoland area. This area was chosen because of need. A 2017 analysis showed that there were 90 abortion-providing facilities in Illinois. Uh, that number, of course, has increased since then. Uh, in 2018, 42,441 babies were aborted. That's 42,441 babies that were killed in a single year. The need is great for a home like this in this area, especially when you look at the attitude of the governor and the mayor of Chicago who want to turn Illinois into an abortion center. In just two years, over 80% of the finances required for them to open this home have been raised. In addition to money, and more importantly, prayer is needed to complete this life-saving ministry. The things that are required for prayer is first for finances. The goal is to open the home debt-free. Secondly, to pray for God to raise up the needed staff and volunteers to, to operate this home. The third area that prayer is needed is for obtaining the proper permits and permissions to go on with the work. If you're interested in more information or would like to donate to this cause, their website is rlom.org slant extension. Thank you. So what do you think of when you hear the word idolatry? I mean, what's the first thing that comes into your head? You think about some raised statues, some pillar. Uh, do you think about a pyramid? Do you think about the statue of a person or of a god? Uh, do you think of something that you're continually moving back to again and again in your own heart. Maybe you're thinking about the idols 
of your own heart. Maybe you think of a game show on television in the evenings, American Idol. We look at people and we idolize them. That's always a possibility. But certainly to be true, an idol is not always something physical or visual that we bow down and worship. It's not, in fact, it's rarely that. In most often cases, for us, it's not one of those things. When we read the Bible and we talk, hear about idolatry and the caution to flee idolatry, there often could be a disconnect, can't there, between that day and now? Because then we know that they had small little figurines that they would keep in their home, or as we'll see here, uh, they would have tall towers of worship or trees under which they would worship. There would be places and objects associated with their idolatry. But today, it's a lot different. We all have things that we idolize. I had a sheet up here, two sheets that are now gone. What's in that sh those sheets right there? The biggest kingdom kid of all. I do need those, thank you. Trying to throw me for a loop. We all have things to which we look to to find strength, joy, and meaning. In other words, we all have idols in our lives. We're all, I, listen to me, we are all idolaters to some degree. The theologian John Calvin said our hearts are idol factories. Our hearts are made and created, and because of the sin within us, we invent things to worship. We invent ways to worship, and we invent ways to find things in our lives that will bring us peace. Tim Keller wrote a book called Counterfeit Gods, and he discusses this very much so in depth. And I just wanted to read some of these. Um, this is how he defines an idol. He says, uh, we can identify idols in our lives when we ask ourselves the question, life only has meaning or I only have worth if. And then you fill in the blank. Here he lists 20, but really I think all of these are subsets of the first four. The first four are one is power idolatry. I will only... Uh, have, have worth or my life will only have meaning if I can have power. If I can have, this is number two, approval. Three, comfort. Or four, control. My life will only have meaning when I can regain the feelings of lost control in my life. Now he lists a whole bunch and they're really interesting. Listen to some of these. Helping idolatry. I need to be the best helper and help everyone who needs help. Dependence idolatry. I need someone who will be there and protect me and take care of me. Independence idolatry. I don't need anyone else. I can do it on my own. Work idolatry. Achievement idolatry. Materialism. Religion. I'm adhering to my religious moral codes. And because I do, I'm idolizing this set of ideas instead of like we worship a person. The difference between religion and relationship. There's so many. Irreligion, I don't believe in anything. Racial or cultural idolatry, my race and my culture is growing or recognized as superior. Inner ring, I'm part of a family, a special subset of people who are different and better. We do this with our family and other relationships. The list goes on and on. John Calvin was right after all, our hearts truly are idol factories. But we must knock down these idols. As we'll read today, Gideon tips an idol and Ashtoreth, and in the same way, we need to knock down and unroot the idols in our lives. We need to get real that they're there. We need to understand that they're there, why they're there, and we need to be moved in the power of Christ to find true freedom in Him. We're all guilty in some way of breaking 
God's first commandment, thou shalt have no other gods before me. So turn with me to Judges 6.25-32. through 32. We're continuing in our story of Gideon out of the book of Judges. Last week we saw that God knows us better than we know ourselves. He sees the real us. And when we step out in faith and act in who we really are, not who we believe ourselves to be, we begin to live life and accomplish things for which God created us. Our lives move. The difficulties in our life become maybe a little less difficult. We begin to live the life that God has called us and created us to live. In today's text, we're going to see that this is exactly what Gideon does. So turn with me and let us learn how to tip the idols in our lives. I want to make this a, a day. You're going, to, you're going to hear about these bricks, okay? You're going to be in, intimately involved with the brick that you have next to you or in your hand, okay? And I want today in this message and what comes after to be a powerful moment for all of us to get in touch with God. And so I want to ask God right now, before I even begin in my message, to do that to prepare our hearts and to open that we can hear what he has to say. So let's pray. Father, we do thank you for this day. We thank you, Lord, that you've brought us to this point. We pray that my words would be used, Lord, according to your wisdom to open the eyes and the hearts of those who hear. I pray for my brothers and sisters that they would hear your truth, that they would see their heart as it is, Lord, and that they would begin the work of taking the first step and tipping the idols in their own lives. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, verse 25. That same night, remember, so the angel of the Lord just told Gideon, go in your strength and defeat the Midianites. So he's just given Gideon a charge, and it says, that same night, the Lord said to him, take the second bull from your father's herd, one seven years old, tear down your father's altar to Baal, and cut down the Asherah pole beside it. Then build a proper kind of altar to the Lord your God on top of this height, using the wood of the Asherah pole that... You cut down, offer the second bull as a burnt offering. So Gideon took ten of his servants and did as the Lord told him. But because he was afraid of his family and the townspeople, he did it at night rather than in the daytime. Here we're reading about the gods Baal and Asherah. These were the male and female fertility gods of the Canaanite people. Baal was often envisioned or envisioned, uh, yeah, envisioned as a bull. We see this in the book of Exodus. After the people of Israel are ushered out of Egypt, they go into the wilderness. Moses goes up onto Mount Sinai, and the people of Israel begin worshiping a golden calf. That vision, that image of that golden calf was probably meant to be something like Baal. Interestingly enough, the Israelites say that it's Yahweh. They say Yahweh, the God of the Israelites, is made in this image of the bull. They were conflating what the society around them was telling them and what God had said at that time. Asherah was the female fertility god. In fact, there was an Asherah pole that was worshipped. It was a long cylindrical tube that rose up in the air and people bowed down to it. You can figure out what they were trying to insinuate through that type of worship. But it was a constant bane of the existence on the nation of Israel. Again and again, as you read through the words of the word of God, you see that Israel was constantly pulled astray by this fertility cult in Canaan. And not only that, even later, as we read in the New Testament, the words of God to us through people like the Apostle Paul, very clear that sexuality, the idea of sex and finding worship in sex was very powerful. And it's something that we each need to flee. You know, it makes me wonder if the God of America is actually Baal. 
and not Yahweh. When I think about what's happening behind the scenes, I wonder, to whom is it that America as a whole, a collective, is truly bowing down to? It certainly doesn't seem to be the God of the Bible. And our focus seems to be so much on sex, so much on acceptance and finding comfort and peace in other people, namely in the act of sex. So we see that this is the environment that Gideon is in. Now notice, he tells Gideon to go cut down your father's altar. Sometimes when we start knocking down the idols in our own lives, it starts in our very own home. You know, families can have idols too. There are things as a family and a familial culture that we idolize. We might idolize achievement. All of our kids go to top-tier schools. We might idolize money. All of my kids have this job. One's a doctor, one's a lawyer, one's an architect, one's an engineer. And there's that idea of achievement or the material aspect that comes with it as well. Families can have values, and those values can be rooted in the idolatry of even one, maybe just the father who imposes it upon the rest of the family, the mother, who decides this is what's most important in life and imputes that upon the family and the children. Maybe they succumb to the society and to the culture around. You know, the keeping up with the Joneses thing. We live in a smaller house, but the McMansion on our left and on our right is moving us to feel guilty. We must build a bigger house in its place. But we'll see that Gideon did not allow. Gideon did not allow familial associations or connections to dictate his actions. You see, our allegiance to God exceeds that of our allegiance to anyone else. And these are not in conflict. These are not in conflict. If we truly love the people in our lives that God is calling us to love, our allegiance will be with him first. Because it's only in our allegiance to God and making him the God and only God of our life that we are able in proper context to love those around us. It's only as we understand who God is and our relationship before him that we can understand true love and what that means. And therefore reflect that love on those who are in our own circle, other people in our lives. In other words, when we love God, our actions toward others are loving as well, even if, they don't, even if they're not interpreted like that. I mean, how many parents have said, I'm doing this because I love you? Oftentimes, we love the people around us the way God calls us to love, and it doesn't look like the love that the world teaches. It doesn't bring them comfort. It doesn't bring them a feeling of acceptance. It doesn't bring them, that does not make it any less love. That just makes it God's love. We can be guilty of disobedience when we allow earthly loves to dictate our heavenly ones. Now, you know as well as I that there are people there in your family or in your friend group, or in your circle, who are living lives who are different than what God would have them live. It's not our job to be, we're not life police, right? We're not there to tell people at every step where they're making a mistake, or where they should be living life differently. What we should not be doing is sacrificing our own deeply held religious beliefs, and our own obedience and walk to the Lord our God, because we're afraid it's going to hurt them. We don't certainly seek to hurt people, but we must live the way God has called us to live, even in the face of familial disagreement. If we idolize that our children love us, we will not live as God called us to live. Often our children go off on their own, and they're on their own journey with the Lord. They have to make their own decisions. And as long as we kowtow to that and what makes them feel better, we will step away from the Lord insofar as they're stepping away. 
So we need to be cautious. Gideon was willing to do what God has asked him, and we're going to see that. Even though he was afraid, he acted in a way that there was no going back. And so the first point, long intro, take the first step. Take the first step. We need to rip the Band-Aid off. Oftentimes, the anticipation of getting a hold of something that's going on in our life is worse than the action of getting a hold of it in the first place. Let me give you an example. When I was in the military, every year we had to go into something called the CS chamber. Now, for those of you who don't know what, this, what CS is, it's tear gas, okay? And when I see people on the streets rioting or there's a, and there's tear gas spreading around, I think about, wow, that hurts. I've been there. What's interesting is, is the Marine Corps tends to bring this whole idea to a new level because we can't do anything just regular. We have to do it extra. So you're all packed into a small room. You have a gas mask on. There's a burner plate, and there's little tablets of CS gas. Okay, They drop the CS gas on the burner plate. It creates this deathly vapor. I don't even know how to describe it. You watch it rise, and you feel like your life's going to end. It goes up to the ceiling. They do two or three more tablets. They say, take your gas mask off. Now we're going to do exercise. We're going to name our social security number. We're going to state our first name, middle and last name. The point is, is to hurt you because it teaches you to trust your gas mask. It teaches you how in that environment to put your gas mask on. And, all right. There's nothing more humiliating about coming out the other end of that CS gas chamber and your whole, every bodily fluid out of your head is now out of your head. Okay. However, in line, you would think the whole group would be saying, oh, this is going to, I don't want to do this. I don't want to do this. No, Marines are crazy. We will say, this is going to be awesome. This is going to hurt so bad. High five me. This is going to be awesome. We've learned over time that anticipation of pain makes the pain worse. And that leaning into the pain is often the thing that makes it bearable. We need to lean into the pain of overcoming the idols in our lives and recognize it's not going to be easy. It's going to hurt. But pain is not bad. Pain means growth. We need to rip the Band-Aid off and take the first step. Maybe you've tried again and again to find some semblance of victory of a recurring theme, an idol, a sin in your life. Perhaps you're struggling with some habitual sin that's robbing you of the joy of your salvation. Maybe you have an addiction. I know. I know that we're not a group of perfect people here. And I know that many of us carry things that no body else but God knows. Because that's the nature of humanity. It's not that we're any different. It's not that we're a broken church or we're a perfect church. Everybody is broken in some way and we all carry these things. Satan loves to use this, your guilt and your shame, to further fuel your disobedience. But I'm here to tell you today that the Lord is with you. That today is the day he's calling you to step out once more. And say, no, even though I've tried again and again and I keep acting, thinking, or believing this thing or this behavior, that today's a fresh start. As every day is a new day and his mercies are new, as Lamentation tells us, this is a new day. This is a new call and God is calling you to look to Christ for your strength. We often see the mountain before us and do not take the first step because we see all of the steps it's going to take. But Jesus says, just focus on the first step. He says each day has its sufficient worry. Don't worry about tomorrow. Worry about today. He says every day make the decision. Paul says I die daily. Because Paul knew that each day one needs to make the 